pick up where we left off uh, just a couple of weeks ago because we had special guests uh, last Sunday. And uh, we are in the midst of this new series that we're teaching on uh, notable women of the Bible. And uh, so we want to uh, get back onto that again this morning. And I want you to come with me, please, uh, to Luke chapter 8. Luke 8. Uh, there'll be a few scripture readings a little bit later, but uh, we'll just begin here uh, to set the scene for this morning. So Luke chapter 8, uh, and just reading the first three verses only. Now it came to pass afterward that he went through every city and village preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. And certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons. And Joanna the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna and many others who provided for him from their substance. Let's just hold there for a moment. Now Mary Magdalene was in many respects, I believe, a very remarkable woman. Uh, she was for sure an outstanding uh, friend and devoted follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. But for 2,000 years now, she has suffered the indignity of having her name sullied and shamed uh, by the assumptions and the insinuations of preachers. Preachers don't always get it right. Can you say amen? We try hard, but we don't always get it right. Recently at a, a conference, a, a dear friend of mine, he read out uh, a very well-constructed poem, a very well-delivered poem about Mary Magdalene. And the only thing was it took the erroneous view that she was a prostitute. And this is the problem with Mary Magdalene, that somehow or other over the centuries, she has been branded as a woman of ill repute. And there's no reason for that. Now perhaps one of the ways this has happened is because the scripture that we just read there in Luke chapter 8, where Mary is introduced to us, that had we read the previous verses towards the, at the end of Luke chapter 7, we would have seen a woman of ill repute, uh, a sinful woman uh, who came to Jesus when he was visiting uh, Simon the Pharisee's home. And that was the woman who came and weeping washed his feet with her tears, dried them with her hair, and then poured onto his feet that very precious ointment that filled the whole room. And so assumptions were made because immediately moves into introducing Mary in the next chapter that perhaps that was Mary. And also, some believed that she was the woman caught in the very act of adultery. Remember the one that was dragged and threw down at Jesus' feet and he wrote on the ground and says, let him without sin cast the first stone. So some believed that that was Mary Magdalene. And then, of course, in recent times, uh, Mary Magdalene has become quite popular in the world of uh, movies and art and, and, and uh, literacy. Uh, for example, Dan Brown, uh, the author of the infamous Da Vinci Code, uh, he also 
propagates the, the old apothecal lie that Mary Magdalene uh, eventually married Jesus. And this is a blasphemous lie that they, they married and they had children. Now, none of this, absolutely none of it, has any scriptural backings whatsoever. None of it. In fact, even though it may spice up a preacher's sermon, even though it may liven up a poem, but you cannot find anywhere in Scripture that even remotely suggests that she was a woman of ill repute, she was a lady of the night, or even that she was a particularly sinful woman. It doesn't even say that. But what it clearly does say, and what Scriptures we have plainly tells us, that this was a woman out of whom Jesus cast seven demons. Now what they were, and when she became infested by these dark forces, we don't know because the Bible draws a veil over that. But what we can assume for sure is this, that whatever they were, they had ill effect. Whatever they were, it did something to her personality, to her lifestyle, to her way of living, and it obviously blighted her and brought darkness, great darkness, into her life. And we know from other scriptures, other people who had been uh, controlled and tormented by evil forces like Mary Magdalene. For instance, in Matthew 17, 15, it says that some threw themselves in the fire. And then some writhed on the ground, Luke 4, 35. Matthew 17, 15, convulsed, cried out, Mark 5 and 5. And showed supernatural strength in Luke 8, 29. And even foamed at the mouth in Luke 9, 39. And cut themselves with sharp objects in Mark 5 and 5. And even went about naked in Luke 8, 27. And lived in cemeteries, cemeteries and tombs in Luke 8. Some were blind, Matthew 12. Some were even dumb, Matthew 12. Not every blind or dumb person or not everybody who lives in a graveyard is possessed by demons, but they certainly were, and the Bible made it clear in their instance that happened to them. So whatever ill effect these evil spirits had upon Mary Magdalene, that in spite of it, she still managed, and probably with great difficulty, to become a woman of some substance, a woman of wealth. Now, whether she had a business, whether she inherited this wealth, we do not know. But the Bible clearly tells us that eventually she, she and others ministered unto Jesus of her substance. And the fact that she ended up following him around, she had the means to do that. And so that's what we do know about this woman. And so in spite of having have the, had these seven evil forces that were operating in her life and causing her awful torment that would be daily raging in her life. In spite of all of that, a living hell to try to live with, uh, that she still managed to some degree or other uh, to become a woman who was quite successful as far as this world is concerned. But then one day, her life was to change forever. Because she had an encounter with the Master. Again, when this happened, where it happened, the Bible doesn't tell us. But at that moment, when Jesus looked into her eyes, 
and looked deep into her very soul. At that moment when he rebuked those evil forces and those dark spirits left her instantly, immediately, she had a great assurance in her heart and a tremendous peace came into her soul. And she would be filled with joy unspeakable and full of glory. And all of that happened in an instant. Such was the power of Christ in her life. And never in all of her life had she ever felt such peace and calmness and joy. This was a woman, although successful, a woman that would be tormented day and night, a woman that probably was many times was confused in her mind and obviously many times it was extremely low in her spirit. Uh, many times I'm sure she didn't even want to get out of her bed because of her situation, but she made it. But here she is and she has never ever experienced the peace and the joy and the calmness in her soul as at that very moment. Life for Mary Magdalene would never ever be the same again. Whatever business she was involved in, it would seem that she gave it up. And she became a follower. More than that, a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so now she would be devoted to Him and she would use this wealth, the substance that she had, along with others, to fund uh, Christ's growing ministry, particularly in Galilee. Above all of that, uh, she would become a disciple, one who would sit at his feet with all the other disciples, and she would call him rabbi or teacher or master. Of all the people that Jesus touched when he was on this earth, I don't think there was any that was as devoted to him afterwards, perhaps maybe his mother only. But other than that, I don't think any person was as devoted as Jesus as Mary Magdalene was. And we'll show you reasons for that as we go on in this story. Jesus as a rabbi, broke the mold. <laughs> he broke it in so many ways. It was always getting him into trouble. But for him to have woman among his disciples was highly unusual. And obviously, it would cause quite a stir in the community. Uh, but you can be sure that Jesus was very circumspect, that he would make sure that Nobody could point an accusing finger. And it's interesting that they blamed Jesus, didn't they? They accused him of being a drunkard. Uh, they said he was a wine-bibber. They even said he was a glutton. They, they even said he, he himself was full of demons. But they never once accused him of immorality. He never ever gave them any opportunity uh, to impugn his integrity even though he had these women in his entourage as these disciples who would sit daily at his feet and listen and learn. I'll say this again, I've said it before, but Jesus did more for women than any other religious leader that has ever lived. So let not any modernist, feminist, 
movement or woman say that Christianity has devalued woman in society. In fact, Jesus elevated woman. At every given opportunity, and you read it in the Gospels, Jesus honored woman. And we're reading these stories to see how the Bible honors woman and how He and God the Father lifted them up into a position that no other religion has ever done. Certainly paganism never did. And so at every juncture, Jesus honored woman, and the Bible honors them also. Can I point out to you at this time that Mary's surname was not Magdalene. Uh, we don't know what her surname was. Uh, but she came from uh, Magdala, uh, and, and, or sorry, uh, Magdala. And probably why she was called Mary Magdalene was to separate her and to identify her from Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mary was a very popular name. The Bible is, of course, and Mary of Bethany, and then Mary Magdalene. There were three prominent Marys in the New Testament. So it's a little thing the Holy Spirit did just to make sure we knew who we were talking about. And by the way, it is pronounced Magdalene. We always say Magdalene, but it is Magdalene, uh, denoting the area where she came from, which would be just south of Capernaum and the western shores of the Sea of Galilee. I want to look at a couple of scenes from Mary's life. And this will show us what kind of devotion that she showed to the Lord Jesus Christ. And remember, as we're looking into these live, lives of these prominent women of the Bible, remember we're trying to learn some lessons. or We're trying to be encouraged and challenged and uh, inspired by what we see and what we read, because this is why they're in the Bible. Uh, first of all, uh, at the cross... In, in John chapter 19, and in verse 25 of John's Gospel 19, and this is obviously the scene around the cross, verse 25, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clophas, and Mary Magdalene. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus. Mary would never be far from her master. And she would not fail him at this most crucial hour of his life. And even though all of his disciples, bar John, the beloved disciple, all of them forsook Jesus and fled. Peter even swore oaths, I know not the man. And yet here is this lovely, remarkable woman, and she stayed with Jesus right to the very bitter end. And she had the distinction that she was the last at the cross. Now in Matthew 27 and in Mark 15, speaking of the same time around the events around the cross, it tells us there that if you care to read that in your own devotions, you'll see that it says that many women, many women looked at Christ on the cross from afar off, from afar off, including, it says, Mary Magdalene. 
So that would lead us to believe that that Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Mary, wife of Clophas, and John, the apostle, were standing at the cross, and Mary Magdalene was with the other woman afar off, but she could not and would not remain there, that she would come right to the very foot of the cross. Now, standing afar off is no disrespect to Jesus, by the way. You can imagine that around the cross there would be a rabble uh, and there would be rough soldiers. It was a horrific scene. And there would be ghoulish sightseers because this was a feast of the Passover. And there would be people from different lands, proselytes who would come to Jerusalem for the Passover, perhaps for the first time, and heard of Roman crucifixions and could not resist the opportunity to see a Roman crucifixion in spite of, and, and, and apart from all of that, Jesus was famous by this time. His name was known throughout the whole length and breadth of the land. And so there would be a mass of people there. And so to look at him from afar off was no disrespect. It was probably safer but Mary didn't want to be safe she wanted to be right there and so here she is 1925 of John now there stood by the cross of Jesus Mary Magdalene I have no doubt that Mary had followed him all the way up the Via Dolorosa, and all the way up to the hell of the skull that we know as Calvary. I have no doubt that she saw the whippings and the beatings and heard the taunts and the jeers and the cruel jibes of those who were watching and the scorning of the religious hierarchy, shouting, if you're the Son of God, come down from the cross. And there she stood, watching his holy hands were pierced by nails as his feet was nailed to a cross. And then eventually, because of the, Passover, because of the Sabbath that was coming quickly, and the word had gone out to break the legs of those who were being crucified that they'd die quicker, and the one thief on the right and the one thief on the left of Christ, the soldiers came and they broke their legs to hasten their death. And they came to Jesus in the center and he was already dead. He had already given up a spirit. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. But just to make absolutely sure, Mary watched as they drove that spear into his side. They can only imagine the pain and the anguish you can only imagine her eyes was red with the salt tears that she cried that day. And now the master is dead. And his beaten and bloodied body is being taken from the cross. But wait a minute. Who are these two men? Who are these two prominent men that are taking the body of Jesus? What are they going to do with the body? And she would look, and somebody would say, Hey, that's Joseph of Arimathea. That's a rich man. He's in the Sanhedrin. He's one of the rulers. And that's Nicodemus. He's also in the Sanhedrin. He's also a ruler of the Jews. What are they going to do with his body? 
And so she would watch. And she would wait. Mark 15. Let's just pick up the story at that point. Verse 42, it says, Now when the evening had come, because it was the preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent council member, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, coming and taking courage, went into Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate marveled that he was already dead, and summoning the centurion, he asked if it had been dead for some time. So when he found out from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph. And then he brought fine linen and took him down and wrapped him in the linen. And he laid him in a tomb which he had been hewn out of the rock and rolled a stone against the door of the tomb. And Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph observed where he was laid. That's important. They followed and they observed. They were not sure what was going to happen, but they made sure because they had followed him. And then in Luke chapter 23, verse 50. Now behold, there was a man named Joseph, a council member, a good and a just man. He had not consented to their decision and deed. He was from Arimathea, a city of the Jews who himself was also waiting for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And he took it down and wrapped it in linen, laid it in a tomb that was hewn out of the rock where no one had ever lain before. That day was the preparation and the Sabbath day drew near. And the woman who had come with him from Galilee followed after and they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. And they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils And they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. And then in John chapter 19. Again, picking up the events of that moment. Now the first day of the week... This is verse 1. Now the first day of the week. Sorry. No, I'm at read from verse 38 of 19. It was in chapter 20. I'll come to that in a moment. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus. Nicodemus who at first came to Jesus by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. That's weight, that is, of course. And they took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips of linen with the spices, as the custom of the Jews is to bury. And in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb, which no one had yet been laid. So there they laid Jesus because of the Jews' preparation day for the tomb was nearby. Mary of Magdala would not let the matter rest. She would lay one last respect, she would pay one last respect, one last act of devotion 
to the master. In Mark chapter 16, I know I'm jumping about a little bit, but when you read the story, you have to kind of do this to get a full flavor because each gospel adds a little bit or leaves out a little bit, so you need the full picture. Mark chapter 16, here is the scene at the tomb. It's important for us to consider this. Now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. They'd said among themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? When they looked up, they saw the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee, where there you will see him, as he said to you. And so they went out quickly and fled from the tomb, for they trembled and were amazed, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were amazed. Now note this. And when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene. Remember, she was last at the cross and first at the tomb. He appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. So what an honor, what a privilege this woman is having. She had followed him right to the end. She had come to pay one last honor to look after his broken body to make sure that he would be properly buried because it was done in a hurry because of the Sabbath was coming. And then in John chapter 20, again following on where we left off, only seeing a little bit more this time. John chapter 20. Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. She ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Who's the they? Well, she's not sure. She probably was thinking, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, because they were the ones who put him in there, hurriedly, admittedly, and probably thought, well, they've come really early, and they've taken the body away, maybe to finish the burial, but that's what she wanted to do. Or could it have been the authorities? She's not sure. Therefore, Peter, Peter therefore went out and the other disciple, and they were going to the tomb. So they both ran together. And the other disciple, that's John, outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down, looking in, saw the linen clothes lying there, yet he did not go in. 
Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. And he saw the linen clothes lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw and believed. Note this, for as yet they did not know the Scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. None of them knew the Scripture. Even though he had already told them that he was the resurrection, he was the life, but that was just right over their heads. And in all the trouble and all the crisis they're in now, the Scriptures didn't recognize, didn't know. Then the disciples went away to their own homes. But note this. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels sitting, in white, sitting, one at the head, the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she said this, she turned round and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. You may wonder why. Well, it could be because it was still dark. It could be because she was weeping. In fact, that chapter tells you twice she was weeping. It could be because of her emotional state that she was in at that moment, heartbroken, grieving, all the stuff that was going on in her heart at the time. Or it could be. But just maybe, like later on that day when Jesus would walk to the road to Emmaus and those two, met those two disciples in broad daylight and they didn't recognize him because God had withholding that from their eyes. So it could be that maybe just at this moment God has withheld that from her. And so Jesus said to her in verse 15 here, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him. Note this, and I will take him away. <laughs> You've got to admire this woman. Here she is on her own. She's the only one left at the tomb. Everybody else is gone. Still dark. She's broken hearted. And she says, look, if you have taken him, please let me take him. I will take him away. How is she going to do that? Jesus is a full-grown man. He's already been bound by linen strips with a hundred pounds weight of aloes and myrrh. But she says, give him to me, I'll take him. She was literally prepared by herself to take the body of Jesus and carry him somewhere and make sure he got a proper burial. You've got to admire this woman. That's devotion, isn't it? That's devotion to the nth degree. And then this lovely touching scene. Verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary! Ah. Suddenly, instantly, she recognized his voice. She'd heard her name spoken by Jesus so many times. 
And she probably remembered the first time when he cast out of her those, those dark evil forces. And for the very first time when he whispered or spoke her name, there was something about the way that Jesus spoke her name. And at that moment when he says, Mary, suddenly she recognized him. And she turned to him and says, Rabboni. Now in my margin, the New King James Version, my margin here, in brackets underneath it actually, it says, which is to say, teacher. But let me repeat this that I said in another context just a few weeks ago. It was more than just teacher. Now, Albert Barnes, author of Barnes Notes in the New Testament, here's what he says about the word Rabboni. So this is a Hebrew word denoting literally my great master. It was one of the titles given uh, to the Jewish teachers. This title was given under three forms. Rab, R-A-B, or master, which was the lowest degree of honor. Rabbi, my master, a title of higher dignity. But then Rabboni, my great master. This is the most honorable title of all. And this title, he says, among the Jews was only given to seven persons, all persons of great eminence. And as given by Mary to the Savior, it was at once an expression of her joy and an acknowledgement of Him as her Lord and Master. What a wonderful title when she said, Rabboni. And then when she says that, as soon as she says that, what does she do? She immediately falls at his feet and grabs him. What does Jesus say? Verse 17 of John 20, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. Then Mary came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. By the way, she was the first person, the first person to see the Lord after his resurrection. And she was the first person that Jesus addressed after his resurrection. What an honor for this wonderful woman of God. But note here that she grabbed Jesus instinctively. Who wouldn't have? Especially her devoted to him. And he says, don't touch me. Don't cling to me. I haven't yet ascended to my Father. Now there's a couple of ways to look at that. It could be that he was going to present himself to the Father. You know, there was blood sprinkled on the mercy seat in heaven and his blood would be presented could be that or it could be simply this that from this moment on she would no longer know him after the flesh he wouldn't just be master or Rabboni my great master in the flesh he would be the living resurrected, soon to be ascended Son of God who would sit at the right hand of the Father and she would no longer know Him after the flesh. In less than six weeks after this, 
he would no longer be here. He would have ascended to the Father on the Mount of Olives. And so, perhaps, immediately, he was getting her used to the fact that he was not going to be around any longer, much longer, in fact. He made some appearances over the next 40 days to the disciples and places just walked right through the wall and just appeared in the room where they were sitting. So he was different now. He's in his resurrection body. She'd have to treat him differently now. So maybe that's what he was saying. But for whatever reason he said it, what a tremendous, tremendous honor was paid to this dear woman of God. So what have we learned about Mary Magdalene this morning? Even though she was her tormented and demented soul, she found complete freedom in Christ. That gives great hope for anyone, doesn't it? Anyone who's demented, anyone who's tormented for any reason, whether it's devils or not, there can be freedom found in Christ. Secondly, even though she was a woman of wealth, she became a woman of worth. And she did well with her wealth. She gave a lot of it unto the Lord. And that would do us well to remember that too. Amen? Whatever we have got, not to be stingy, but to be generous to the kingdom, to God's programs. And thirdly, her devotion and loyalty to Christ would put many men to shame. Certainly must have shamed the disciples because they all ran and fled. Peter, the biggest of them all, the biggest bragger of them all, was the most cowardly of them all. But not this woman. No, she was right there at the end. And even though she went to the tomb, not even knowing how they were going to roll away the stone, even though she went to the tomb and it was sealed by the Roman authorities, that could have got her into trouble. But nonetheless, she took courage in hand because she was devoted to the Master. And even if it cost her her life, she would pay him one last respect. And then fourthly, those that honor Christ will themselves be honored by Christ. <laughs> There's no question of that. If you honor the Lord in your daily life, He will find a way to honor you. And she was certainly honored. wasn't the first one to see Christ after His resurrection, first person to speak to Him, first person that He spoke to. That high distinction, listen as we close, that high distinction was not given to any of Christ's apostles. It was not even given to His own mother, Mary. It was given to Mary Magdalene. So aren't you glad for this woman of God? So let's not ever say inadvertently that she was some woman of ill repute, even though if she had been, Christ would have treated her exactly the same and released her. But she got a bad press for many, many years. She was a wonderful, precious, devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Once he set her free, she never, ever looked back, and she followed Jesus right to the very end. I have no doubt that on the day of Pentecost that she was there in that upper room praising God and filled with the Holy Ghost and fire. Amen? We don't know what happened to her after that, but you can be sure for the rest of her life she was a follower of Jesus Christ. And that's what he wants us to be, his devoted and loyal followers. Amen? Let's pray.